Hello everybody, welcome to this new podcast of discussions on psychoanalysis. For this opening today, I am by myself. Edgar and I could not find time to meet. Anyway, this time Edgar, Francisco, Danielson and myself are going to talk about the quote-unquote end of the pandemic, our thoughts on vaccination, well, how it feels to be back in the office, our thoughts on how to think about what's happening for our patients, the difference in the frame, etc. I hope you like it. Please send us your comments, questions, critiques. We are looking forward to reading you. And without further ado, my name is Grégoire Pierre. My co-host is Edgar Francisco Danielsen. And you are listening to discussions on psychoanalysis. start with vaccination. Okay. How did it happen for you? As you know, in New York's metropolitan area, the states began to vaccinate those who were providing health services. So therapists were included in the group of people who would get vaccinated earlier in the process. I got a message from my primary care physician and I put my name in and I was given a time and day. It was quite easy on my side. When was that? I think it was in March. So it's been two months already. It was smooth. In fact, the way it was designed is that one would drive into the... It was a kind of a, you know, going to a fast food place. Mm -hmm. And you would stick your arm out and it would... Oh, really? <laughs> Of course they were there were of course they would check your name and and ask you a few questions. Oh, good. That was the first point in the process and ask you a few questions then you you would be in the car the provider would approach you you would extend your arm and they would you know hit you with <laughs> Okay. And then you would wait in the car for 15 minutes in case there was a bad reaction. For me, it was quite an easy process. So you never left your car? I never left my car. Okay. No, never. So how did you experience it? I have to say internally, the experience was exciting. Mm -hmm. I was looking forward to a sense of relief. Yeah. I experienced that. Both relief and anxiety went down. So internally, I was glad to get the vaccination. What about you? How was the process and how was your internal experience of it? I got vaccinated in January. Mm -hmm. so I live nearby an hospital mm -hmm. and I was told that not enough people were coming to get their vaccine yes. and that the hospital had many vaccines that they didn't know what to do because, as you know, especially at the time, the Moderna and Pfizer cannot be left outside for too long after they left the freezer. Mm -hmm. And I was told that uh, people at the hospital were just grabbing people around, being like, oh, you want to mm -hmm. be vaccinated? You, you, you. <laughs> and I felt like, well, this is too bad. Why, why am I staying here mm -hmm. if uh, they are wasting uh, doses of a very valuable mm -hmm. vaccine? Yes. I didn't go with my car, actually, uh, to the subway. Mm -hmm. Oh, did I go to the subway? No, actually, I walked. And I walked. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing you forget. Because in January, I would not have taken the subway. Yes, correct. Things were very hot. I would not have taken the subway. Now I take the subway every other day mm -hmm. to go to my office. But mm -hmm. no, I walked there and everything went very nicely, mm -hmm. very efficient. I just uh, showed my appointment-related uh, page that I printed. Mm -hmm. And there we go. The sense of relief actually to me happened quite recently. Oh, how so? As I got vaccinated so early, I still had to acknowledge and experience a sense of guilt. Mm -hmm. I had a rational to go. 
Because sure. I was told by uh, mm-hmm. sources that I trust that vaccines were wasted. Mm-hmm. That I still felt like that I knew that I did not need it right away. Mm-hmm. I knew that there were people who were actually on the field who needed it concretely more than I did. Yeah. I felt both those things. Mm-hmm. I did start to feel a little safer, but the sense of really feeling safe uh, happened, I think, quite recently. Like we're recording uh, middle of May 2021. I just started feeling safe just a few weeks ago. Mm. I had that sense of relief almost immediately, yes. But I know many other therapists were experiencing something similar. Some people were experiencing some shame or some guilt connected to being able to have access when others were not having access. I don't know if I I was intellectualizing, but I think creating herd immunity was important. And if the vaccines were wasted, better to use them and create herd immunity than to waste them. So that's how I dealt with some shame and some guilt that people were having and experiencing, yeah. As many, I think when I got the vaccine, the sense of relief uh, was somehow magnified a fantasy that everything would be okay. Mm. Once you get the shot, it's almost like everything will be absolutely fine. You cannot be infected and you won't infect anyone else. But reality is that the vaccine is not 100% effective. And so this relief magnified by a fantasy needs to be explored. I think our patients may experience something similar. Coming back to my experience of feeling relieved uh, quite recently, I think it's also connected to the disappointment I experienced once I was vaccinated. Because you are vaccinated, you get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And yes, in some ways you're like, that's it, I'm done. Well, you are certainly a step closer to being safe. Mm -hmm. But the society around you is not. Exactly. Yeah, you're happy, you're vaccinated, even after the second dose. But if not enough people around you are vaccinated, all the things that are prohibited will stay prohibited. Correct. And our health systems may collapse still if there are too many people infected and using emergency rooms and ventilators and so on and so forth. So it's important to make a distinction here between a reality and the fantasy. The complexity of living in a society or such a big society as ours in which you might be safer, but as long as there's not a critical mass that follows you or that is safe too, mm-hmm. then your situation is still, even if it's better, it's still not there yet. Correct. I think that now that I see that, I think the vaccination rate is 60% in uh, New York State. And my sense is, and it's still a fantasy, but when I walk in the street now or when I take the subway, even if I still wear my mask, mm-hmm. I feel safe. Mm-hmm. In my head, I'm thinking most likely a majority of the adults around me are okay. are vaccinated so it should be fine a funny thing to me was that it gave us a taste of the single-payer healthcare system Mm -hmm. and i'm saying that because it reminded me of what i went through living in france is that you went to the vaccination center nobody asked for anything beside the appointment Mm -hmm. uh, later then you got your shot and you leave nobody bothers you about filling out an application nobody bothers you with your insurance card you don't have to worry about copay you don't have to worry about any expense Mm -hmm. and i had forgotten oh uh i had forgotten how smooth and transitionless it is mm-hmm. you know you just go in mm-hmm. and you go out and you do not have to worry one bit about whether or not you're going to have to receive a bill the amount of the bill if the insurance is going to cover this or that you care just about yourself mm-hmm. and that's a taste i hope as many american people as possible Mm-hmm. will feel and I hope it will encourage them to support even more because I know it's already from the poor very uh, popular mm-hmm. a single payer healthcare system what I've heard from other people is that uh, here in the United States have been quite uneven in terms of the process some people go to a vaccination center and they ask you to fill forms to present your car oh, really a health insurance yes it has happened in some vaccination places even here in New York City. Oh. So it's uneven. But I think most people had the experience of just smoothly going into a place, getting vaccinated and getting out. That's it. 15 minutes. Yeah, and that is wonderful. 
that's that's yes. how healthcare should be. Because <laughs> sh healthcare shouldn't <laughs> exactly. give you a heart attack. <laughs> this is about keeping you healthy, but you have to go through a moment of rage every time you go to, to and stress <laughs> and anxiety uh, yes. and depression. Oh. <laughs> that's completely insane. Oh, yeah. that was the money. <laughs> talking about reality and fantasy, the other thing that comes to mind is, in my case, I decided to come back to the office in person, of course, two weeks after my second shot, which mm -hmm. I think it's very well connected to science and data as well as to fantasy, uh, <laughs> meaning I'm not at risk, except that, you know, that's not 100% sure. But if you wear your mask in your transportation... Mm -hmm and you reach your office, how unlikely can it be that you get contaminated? It would be a very small percentage. So that's connected to science, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I have to ponder in what ways I could have stayed home without the hassle of commuting. Why did I want to come back to the office? What's there in terms of a fantasy? What's going on there? Which might be deeper, you know, is, is psychoanalysis happening remotely or is psychoanalysis happening in the office? Mm -hmm. Reality is that I'm still doing hybrid. Some patients are in the office, some patients are not. It certainly asks us the question of how we see the return to, in quote, normal. Do we think it's going to be just like before? Are people going to come back? I started going back to the office too, and actually quite recently. And I do feel like coming back made me realize what I lost. Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed by it because it's only been a year. But I found that I got used to the online-only frame. Mm -hmm. I could certainly feel some sense of frustration around some aspect of the online frame, but I had forgotten the specificity of the quality of the in-person frame. Yes. Well, there are different things. I would say the most absolute is when your patient come back physically to the office. Yes. To me, it's mesmerizing how different I feel. Mm -hmm. From my patient's comments, I think it, they feel different too. But how different I feel. Like the way I can feel inside my body. Yes. You know, I know that my person is not limited just to a frame around my chest and my head and my arms. Mm -hmm. I know my patients can see my legs too. They have a very different perception of me and mm -hmm. and also how different it is to see the whole body of your patients inside your office. Yes. And that, I think, is also, I would add that to how even seeing your patients in the screen inside your office is already a different experience. Mm -hmm. I got reminded that psychotherapy is also a physical space. Yes. Uh, you probably remember when we started uh, seeing patients remotely, one of the things we talked about was, are they going to be able to talk freely? Yes. Are we going to have to tell them? I mean, you actually mentioned that, how you told some of your patients, if you don't feel safe, it's saying something, just give me some cue words, I think. Mm-hmm that I know and I could feel again how the fact that therapy was happening both in my head, in the patient's head and in a physical space that was different from both my home and their home emphasized the dynamic. It didn't create a dynamic. It emphasized, I think, the therapeutical dynamic because whatever they say, you know, there's this experience that we have with our psyche is that we are extremely sensitive to the space we're in. Yes. Uh, we invest them and we don't feel the same in one place or another. Mm -hmm. The fact that whatever they will say will stay in the room and they will leave the office. Correct. Every single of my patients who came so far mentioned each their own way the experience of walking to the office. Mm -hmm. They all describe a different aspect of it. But for all of them, it was an experience that they had forgotten. Yeah. I feel very energized by that. Even if at some point I was debating whether I should go back to the office. And I thought, if I go to the office, I have a commute. Yeah, but if I don't go to the office, I don't have a commute. I'm staying home all day. Mm -hmm. It's not that good, at least to me. Yeah. There are two things that come to mind as you talk. And one is uh, when you say the patient comes into the office 
and the therapeutic experience happens in the office, I and my patients were struggling during the remote time. Well, some of them are still struggling because we're remote. We were struggling with the fact that I was in the world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I was in their living room. I was in their cars for confidentiality reasons. I was looking at their pets. So the frame changed so much. In my case, what I noticed more than the space was time. When we went remote, each session felt to me like an eternity. Mm -hmm. Even though it was 45 minutes Each session felt like three hours. Of course, that shifted as we went on and on and on with the remote sessions. Now, coming back to the office, when I see my patients in the office, sometimes it feels that 45 minutes is not too much. The patient and I realize that our time is over. I'm not sure what it means yet, but you are referring to space and I'm referring to time. Something was impacted in, in yeah. both cases. I agree. Time and space. And in my psyche, something shifted that made sessions way too long and very difficult to manage. And now sessions are flowing smoothly or seemingly smoothly in terms of time, even if the session is difficult uh, in terms of content. Connected to what you're saying, I also found that it was easier to end sessions once back in the office. Yes. It made more sense to stop. And I don't know exactly why, mm -hmm. but I really felt it. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. And, you know, I speculate that it could be, uh, as I have mentioned before, that both the patient and us are immersed in the same reality. There's a pandemic. We experience all of that. So I guess coming into the office, at least for that moment, we're able to disconnect somehow from the pandemic. Again, that might be just a fantasy. I know that I'm speculating right now. But there's something to it mm -hmm. that being in the office recharges me, uh, brings me back to a frame that I know, that I think I understand, and that the patient as well understands. Usually, when we had patients online, we as therapists would still be in our office. Oh, yes, that's true. The specificity of the pandemic made so that both parts of the therapy were out of the office frame. Correct. So even if some therapy might stay online for um, longer or maybe will not go back to, uh, those patients will not go back to the office, at least the fact that we as analysts are back in the office certainly helps us being in a mood, being in a state, being in a certain kind of attention Yes, that was much harder to reach back home. Mm -hmm. I felt like... Actually, even if commuting is tiring, but in some way it's good because you know you also use energy, you uh, use you some move of the your fat body. that you yes. <laughs> that you stored. We can lose some of the pandemic weight. I mean, lose <laughs> it. Uh, that's me being very optimistic. Yes, <laughs> At least well, you exactly. gain a little less. <laughs> so aside from that, uh, um, you are fed by being in a different place, and so you can listen to the patients who are still remote. Mm -hmm. I think still in a better way. Yeah. And so when they come back, I think that's a combo. Like yeah. Then it's, it's much better. I don't recall where I read this research. I think it was, it was some research done in one of the Nordic countries in Europe. But they realized through the research that the therapy began when the patient left their, either their work or home and they were traveling, commuting, mm -hmm. walking to the therapist's office. So that... In fact, the patient began to do some work, internal work, as they were commuting or, or walking towards their therapist. As we talk, I think that it happens to us as well. Yeah. As you say, you getting on the train, getting or walking to the office, we begin to experience or reforming in our minds the frame. Yeah that we used to have before. Is that a desire to go back in time and some sense of normalcy, perhaps? And it also allows us to separate the spaces in our minds. So, you know, work is work, home is home, my home is not the office, the park is not my office, etc. About that, I found since I started going back to the office most days a week that I would come back with a very different sense of fatigue. Yes, that's an interesting way of saying it. Yeah. When I come back now, 
I know I'm done for the day. Yes. <laughs> and the weird thing is that even if I was done back then for the day, I would still feel this never-ending movement mm -hmm. inside my apartment. Mm -hmm. While now I just come back and done. I appreciate that. Where the spaces and times are not blending. As I said, home is home, office is office, so the spaces don't blend. And the time we spend in each one of those spaces do not blend. So do you think we will see a return to quote-unquote normal? I have called this time the new abnormal. So I don't know if we will go back to the normal as we used to see it. There will be a new normalcy. I'm pondering with some of my patients what we are going to do because their companies are not coming back necessarily. They don't know. Some companies, organizations, or where people work are deciding if they are going to have hybrid models. Mm -hmm. Some of my patients moved away. So certainly they are not going to commute to my office. Some people are close by and they may commute once a week and then the other sessions. If we have more than one session, we will have once a week in the office and one another or two others remotely. But then we need to ask questions. In what ways that is going to impact the analysis? Oh, it will, Because yeah. the frame will be continuously changing. I have a hunch that in the long run, we will begin to notice that patients will talk about certain subjects when they are home, and when they are in the office, they will talk about something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. So something is shifting at home, and it's not the same here. Is it a question of degree or a question of nature? I think it will be a mix. Someone who is walking to my office will be impacted by the environment in a different way. They may see birds, they may see other people, and they get to the office and they begin to associate there, where they are, what they saw while they were walking. That's my guess. While the patient who is at home will be associating to the coffee maker or the cats, mm. the other partner or partners and whatever, whomever is there. So that I think will be different. But it's, I'm speculating, of course. Oh, well, you're speculating, but actually one of my patients already mentioned a few times that he could feel that what he was able to talk about now that he's back in the office with me, he could feel that before he could not access it. Mm -hmm. He felt like he should have been able to talk about it before, that he wanted to talk about it, but he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And now that he's back in the office physically with me, he can bring it and yeah. mention it. The converse, I think it's true as well. I began to work with some people during the pandemic. So we never saw each other in the office until a few weeks ago. Some of those patients had said, well, it's difficult for me to talk, but when I get there, it will be easier. Well, guess what? Not necessarily. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so <laughs> that was a fantasy. And therefore, I, to use some psychoanalytic jargon, maybe they are resisting the treatment at home or here. It doesn't matter. <laughs> or maybe something else is going on. I don't know yet. Maybe it is about the different places that we have. Is that for us, it is re-energizing to go back to the office. But for people who started online, mm -hmm. that's their point of reference. That's the only point of reference. True. They have to learn to go to the office. Correct, yes. Even if we have a sense on the long run or in general, it might provide a deeper dynamic. Mm -hmm. Still, it is a different one. Yeah. And you have to get used to it again. And they have to see you. That's the thing. When I was planning to come back to my office, I started mentioning that to some of my patients. And in my head, at first, I was convinced that they had to come back. Mm -hmm. Then... After mentioning that for a week, I realized, eh, you have to stop. Mm -hmm. I have to stop saying that to the patients. I have to be a lot more laid back about whether or not they have to come. And I felt like this was the right move mm -hmm. because I had so far three patients who came back, but I could have more. And those who are in the city, who are available during their appointment mm -hmm. time, uh, who didn't Yeah, well, I could feel that they were not ready. Afraid, mm -hmm. anxiety, the maybe also the you know the convenience of being home. Sure. Some patients actually mentioned it directly. 
that they knew that they had to come, but man, it was so nice to being home. They didn't have to commute. They, mm-hmm. Okay, I have to leave the pressure very low mm-hmm. so that they can reinvest going to the office without it being... A demand, yeah. Yeah, which would actually be very counterproductive. Talking about demands and coming to the office, my take has been that I'm being very flexible. One thing that I noticed is that the first time I saw a patient back in the office, they would not take off their mask. Oh, really? Yes, and that was intriguing to me. And I have told them that I was fully vaccinated. I told them that we would open some of the windows in the office and that I would follow their lead in terms of how comfortable or not they felt. But the first week, no one took off their masks. And the second week, all of them decided, you know what, I'll take off my mask. And they did. And they are vaccinated. and, And so that was intriguing. Mm-hmm. I think there was some anxiety connected that if I did not take my mask first, mm-hmm. that they would not do it. So talking about demands, society is demanding of them to keep their masks. The building where I am located has a strict rule. So people have to use masks outside the office, I meaning in the suite, in the waiting areas. So the first week, everybody came into my office with masks. They, we had sessions uh, masked. And the second week, I reminded them, I'll follow your lead. What do you think? You want to keep your mask on or not? And the second week, they all decided to take off their masks. I think it was important for me to emphasize that I can take it off, that the CDC has said these are the guidelines of the CDC, that it was okay to be with me in the room as okay as we can be. You know, that reminds me that after I realized that I was putting too much pressure on my patients, each individually, I asked them how they would want uh, to come back if they wanted to. Yes. I just told them, just so you know, my frame is that I only see people who are vaccinated and I ask all my patients, including you, to come with your mask and to only take your mask off once you are sitting on your chair. Mm Mm-hmm. After that, we can discuss if you want to keep it, etc. I found that the three patients who came so far were doing that in a very fluid way. Mm-hmm. Probably in your office too, there is the six feet separation. In my case, I think it's eight feet. So it's more than enough. But we have to mourn the pandemic. Mm. And that is not something I had expected. Mm. I kind of realizing now... I knew it technically that it was a possibility, but the traumatic dimension of the pandemic and that it was so traumatizing and so hard to think that I think it is what partially lead people to take time to remove their mask, to feel safer, to allow themselves to do those things. Because we're facing an invisible virus. Invisible threat. Leading to some people being contaminated without any symptoms. Those who had symptoms were in the hospital, out of sight. And you had numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. 100,000, 200,000 people dead. But it's hard to get a sense of how hard it is. And what is the difference to this invisible threat? An invisible vaccine. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is not invisible is your damn mask. Correct. And let me add there that, as I said, there are some demands from our, some sectors in our society. Using a mask became a sign that you cared. Yes. So patients taking off their mask in my presence It was clear in some cases, because we explored that, that it was connected to shame. I'm supposed to care, and the sign that I care is that I wear my mask in front of you. Taking the mask off is a sign of not caring, and therefore I'm ashamed. To get out of this crisis together, we had to build a sense of community. Mm -hmm. Today, outside in the subway, I do wear a mask out of respect for people's anxiety. Yes. But I also know that most likely I do not need to. Mm -hmm. Just to put this in context on this day, the CDC director statement was that you don't have to use a mask. If you are fully vaccinated, indoors, outdoors. The problem with that is it puts aside people with low immunity response. Mm Mm-hmm. People with cancer, for instance, or people in general who are undergoing very heavy treatments. Even if they have the Mm -hmm. two doses, they don't have 
as much of an immune response than people who are, in quote, healthy, in quote. I think that what you're saying is grounded in reality. I would like to mention that it might also, in some cases, it may develop into paranoid ideations of someone is going to do something to me. Yes, it's already the case. And that will show up in our practices. For example, I have heard and also read about therapists who are concerned about being sued by their patients mm -hmm. if for some reason the patient gets sick. So I guess the paranoid ideations I was talking about, they go in both directions, you know, from the patient toward the therapist, from the therapist to the patient. I think it goes back to something we said very early on, is that it's an event that we are all in together, mm -hmm. which makes it very different from what we usually work with, which is something of an experience that our patients have that we do not share. And in this case, we all share the pandemic. Correct. Everybody, everywhere. I mean, that is quite an event. Yes, Even if you were to uh, work with someone on the other side of the planet, I mean, actually no, but almost, uh, then you would have someone who's been touched by uh, the pandemic and by everything that is related to the pandemic. Because let's not forget, indeed, that on the other side of the planet, we have New Zealand and Australia. And both those countries dealt with the pandemic in a very different way and in a very efficient way. Mm -hmm. And while we are now recovering at the uh, mid-May or at the end of May 2021, uh, Australia and uh, New Zealand recovered a long time ago. A long time ago, a few months ago, yes. It was a completely different experience for them. You're raising another thing here, it, the it's intersection with other identities. We know that even though we are experiencing the same pandemic with all variants around the world, the same pandemic, not everybody is experiencing exactly the same. So we may have people who have the, let's say, the privilege of living in a country that has handled the pandemic in a more efficient way. We have other places where the pandemic is devastating their countries. And we have also in the same country different groups of people who have been impacted uh, in different ways. And what I've seen is how the failure of our institutions and our elite, in quote, elite, probably led to or added to the trauma or to the difficulty of the situation, to say the least. Yes. We are in America, I think most of us, I mean, probably all the people who are listening to the podcast are relieved that uh, Trump left office and Biden took over. But, and as um, desperately stupid Trump was, it happens that the way the situation, the pandemic was dealt with in France was worse than what Trump did. So I think French people took a toll on that and the reaction, whether it's a bad denial or blind support to the government or rage, etc., All those things could have been avoided, but we have to work with them. And not only do we have to work with them, but we are also suffering the consequences too. Mm -hmm. That is something specific, I think, to the pandemic that we as clinicians, something that we have to work with. Mm -hmm. Back to what Nancy McWillian had expressed, uh, we're talking here not only about neurotic anxiety, but also about external threats or signal anxiety. You know, there's a clear threat, even though we cannot see it, as you have mentioned. But that threat intensifies depending on where we are, what kind of government we have, what social class are we located in, so on and so forth. It reminds me of what Freud said about fear and anxiety, mm -hmm. how fear has an object and anxiety doesn't have one. Yes. It's so difficult to create a representation of it. Mm-hmm. I think that adds to the already kind of full bucket. Mm -hmm. We are going to end this podcast with some reflections on the all distance therapy and to maybe share with our audience our thoughts on that, even if we already mentioned that a little bit here and there. What was your experience, Edgar, to be only online or on the phone. Mm -hmm. Did you have new thoughts about this process? Yes, I had some new thoughts connected to the process. I think I am one of those therapists who realize that when external events happen, we can continue the work even if in a different frame, but the work will continue somehow if we move from the in-person to the remote session. I had a very 
I don't know if I want to use the word rigid of what the frame should be and the person in the room and where I locate myself in the room, the physical space, the time, all of that. And mm-hmm. certainly we were impacted in such a way that I had to rethink what it means to do therapy and to put it in, in other words, you know, certainly an analysis requires a certain frame that is connected to time, that is connected to physical space. All of that is true, and yet the analysis can continue remotely. And with each patient, we will have a different frame. That's what it looks like. I think I'm more flexible right now. I'm beginning to ponder. This is where my reflection is right now. When I have patients who are in person and remotely in different days. I have patients I see twice or three times a week, but they don't live in the city, but they are close by. Therefore, they could come into the city once a week, and they are doing that. But the other sessions are remote. So in what ways that is impacting the analysis? So it happened already? Yes, it's already happening. It's a very delicate conversation that uh, needs to happen an exploration with each patient. I don't want to go into some rigid frame that would say, no, if you cannot do remote and in person. I'm being very flexible about that. One session will have a completely different frame. Mm-hmm. Two other sessions will have another frame. In what ways does that impact the analysis? What would happen to the analysis as we continue to do that? Would I ask patients to be completely remote or completely in-person at some point? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't want to think that that might be the case, but I'm pondering right now. How did you experience it? My internal experience is that I feel strongly connected to the patients who are in person here. Now, Mm -hmm. I have to also wonder if this is connected to my own fantasies about psychoanalysis. And this connection to my patient that I experience now as more intense is just because the fantasy aligns with the reality, meaning the patient is in the room. Do you feel that the remote session is more difficult for you? I find it both patient and me get distracted easily. That's what I find. Keeping the attention on each other, it's more challenging when we are in remote sessions. But do you feel like it is more difficult, especially because you see the person also physically? Or do you feel like it's just the same as with all the patients who are remote? No, it's the same with all patients who are remote. This is something to think about. Increasingly, I have been observing that my patients get more distracted lately. I don't know why. I don't know what kind of anxiety is there yet. I'm observing more problems for those who are in their cars. They keep looking elsewhere out the windows. Those who are in their apartments or houses are having more issues with their cats or their pets. So that is increasing. I cannot give uh, statistics in terms of the frequency, but I'm beginning to sense that. Now, could that be connected also to my fantasies and my desire to be in the room? And now I'm focusing more the distractions, trying to find the evidence. Okay, you see, better to be in the room with me. I don't know. I'm still pondering. Well, I'm wondering if there's something about doing remote therapy or remote sessions when everybody does remote session, when it's the norm. Mm -hmm. And it might be another thing to do it when it is not the norm. Mm -hmm. That is something I'm pondering too. That's a good point. About my patients and about the future of my practice. Uh What happened is that when the pandemic started, I lost a lot of sessions a week. Then most people came back after some time. And I was very happy to see that patients who refused before to communicate through Skype or the phone when I was away for long or when they were away for a long time actually were engaged in that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Were they engaged because actually they changed their mind in general? Or were they engaged because the frame, meaning the world we were living in, imposed that or made it legitimate? Mm-hmm. Will that continue? And I don't know. I'm thinking that it's very likely that patients with whom I had a good enough therapy remote won't be able to maintain that kind of connection remotely for long. Mm. That's my sense. Mm-hmm. 
Yet, I think it also comes with the fact, as we said earlier, that it seems harder than I expected for some patients to come back. I have seen that it seems harder for some therapists also to come back. Yes. I'm surprised to see resistances where I was only expecting, oh, naive of me, enthusiasm. Right now, I don't know what to do with those two things. I'm not interpreting yet the challenge as resistance to the treatment because I am aware that many of my patients, the companies where they work, are not back in the office. It would make no sense to commute to the office. Many of my patients would take an hour of their work day, walk to my office, have the session, and go back to their office. Mm -hmm. So right now they are in their living quarters, which might be in, you know, in Staten Island, in Queens, in Brooklyn, elsewhere, some people in New Jersey. I'm worried of interpreting not wanting to come back as resistance. I think it's the external reality that is making it difficult. I would say almost 100% of those who are remote ask me if people are coming to my office. Mm -hmm. So when I say yes, and we explore a little bit about that, it's kind of a desire, but at the same time, they find that it's under the circumstances, for them, it's not possible. My hunch is that there will be a lot of anxiety as we come back to... uh, You know, companies will reopen, people will be in their offices. I think that will stir up anxiety. Yes, certainly. I wonder what ways that will feel the sessions during that time. Do you have thoughts on the different kind of remote sessions that you did? Videos, phone, or maybe did you use different softwares for videos? Some of the people who were lying on the couch decided to do phone. We are doing phone because it somehow simulates the I don't see you. And they feel something that they can tie to the in-person sessions. Most people uh, would use Zoom and they would do that easily. There were a couple of patients who could not use Zoom. They felt very challenged by the software. We would use an online web-based program like Doxy, Mm -hmm. which I personally don't like very much because there are too many glitches and many problems in the connection. So we do video conference and phone. Again, my experience with using the video conference is that I am seeing an increase in distractions happening. Some of my patients, for example, are using phones. When they get a text through phone, the camera turns off. Because they're using their phone to do the chat? Yes, because they are in their cars. (laughs) That's a challenge. So the text comes in and the camera in their phones blocked for whatever reasons. So they come back always saying, I apologize. I'm sorry. And, you know, after a while, what can you do with that? I'm sorry. You know, you... Mm. It's okay. Let's continue. (laughs) Because there's not much I can do there. But what about you? Do you feel more distracted with video or maybe with phone? Video conference in general. If Mm -hmm. the systems fail, I get annoyed. Mm. And I realize that it's not the patient's fault. It's not my fault. But it's the fault of something that is out there that I cannot target. It's diffuse. You know, who I should complain to, you know. Uh, my my internet carrier, the, the internet carrier of the patient. It's difficult to zoom in. What am I upset with? Mm. And this is talk therapy. So if the voice is garbled and I cannot understand what the patient is saying, it slows down everything because I have to go back to, you were saying, I didn't hear that part. Can you repeat this for me? And it happens again and again. So I get annoyed. When technology starts to mess up, it really ruins the illusion of connection. Of the connection. We're reminded we're not in the same room. I find it difficult. Mm -hmm. I find it painful. And sometimes I even find it cruel, even if I know there's no intention behind that. Yeah. Sometimes you are with a patient and the session is heavy and, Mm -hmm. and then... It frozes. It's frozen and you're just helpless. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes your mic doesn't work well or sometimes your patient is talking to you but then they're outside and it's too windy and you don't hear anything. Correct. You know, it's just like those moments where you're mm-hmm. reminded that a good, quiet office <laughs> is quite nice. <laughs> Very nice, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it, it's like all of a sudden when you when you have uh, some work uh, being done on the facade of the building, it's mm -hmm. just like that for on a more regular basis mm -hmm. with uh, online. Yeah, I mean, I use most of the time Skype. I found Skype to be reliable. Mm -hmm. Yet, I found it very difficult to sustain the emotional connection with the patients. It really asks more of me. Mm -hmm. And also with patients, when it's just on the phone, and you're not even sure that they're not talking. Or maybe the call dropped or something. Yeah. <laughs> or it's just that they're talking, but the mic doesn't work anymore. <laughs> or uh, like the connection is so flickering that mm -hmm. all of a sudden you hear... I find that difficult because... Mm -hmm. I found that we, as therapists, I think if we want to do a good job, we have to put ourselves in a place of emotional vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We can't just enter a session and be guarded, or it's going to fuck things up. Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult to let myself go into that mode and then being disrupted by technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, you have to get in and you have to get out because all of a sudden you have to move to a different mode where you're dealing with a machine. Is it my phone? Did I lose a service? Did they lose service? Is it, is it my... Because I'm, I'm using a headset with a wire. Sometimes it happened that I was moving during a, a phone call and my wire disconnected. Because of the way my headphone is made, I just didn't know. So I was talking... Mm -hmm. And my patient could hear me, but now they could hear me from the phone, which was far away because I don't like to hold it when I'm listening mm -hmm. to my patient because, mm -hmm. you know, to somewhat emulate the frame of them being uh, using the couch. And it's okay. The therapy, the sessions, we all come back from there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never experienced patients who actually completely broke down from the experience, to be fair. But on my side, that is painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I actually, I dread those moments. Well, glad to hear because I also sense my own anxiety increasing. I have experienced this. I don't know if it has happened to you, but I'm on video conference. Patient says something and I'm, you know, taking that in and listening quietly and not moving much. And the patient then at some point says, are you frozen? And <laughs> 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 yes, it did happen to me actually many times. <laughs> Are you frozen? And I said, no, no, I'm here, but I'm listening. I'm listening intently to what you're saying. Yeah, Which you then, of course, moving. another analyst would say, "Well, do you think that I am a cold person?" That, you know, but I, I know it's not about that. I hope. <laughs> wow. Well, well. I, I, look at God. I didn't want to say. <laughs> but it has happened to me. You know, the, are you there? Are you frozen? Yes, I'm here. I'm listening to you. <laughs> I know. Yes, it is eerie. <laughs> because you're just in your mind. You're just like quietly listening and focused. <laughs> but yes, all of a sudden, it, it sends you back what their experience was that you were, what came to me, that's my imagination, my fantasies. I was like, you know, how to say in, in painting, like dead nature. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm translating directly from French with mm -hmm. nature morte. Like all of a sudden you're just this, you stand still like this inanimated object. <laughs> yes. That's the image that I felt they were throwing back at me. Yeah. Just like you, I have to say, I didn't take it from a psychoanalytic point of view. I just took it as a, oh shit, the technology is really not helping here. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's about projections too. I, I find be, it difficult. But it, you know, I wouldn't go there because first and foremost, our technology is failing. So why would I interpret in the transference and say, oh, you think I'm cold? Or do you think that I'm not moved by you? Well, let's say if it <laughs> happened all the time. With the same at person. At some point, yeah, you, yeah <laughs> yes. the same patient, yeah. you might think, yeah. okay, something's off. About the phone, I wanted to share a thought I had is that I actually thought just like you that the phone would be well suited for patients who were using the couch prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But Eventually, I realized that the phone was of a different nature. And I found that the phone was as if, in some way, you were even closer to your patients. Mm -hmm. It's as if you're even less there mm -hmm. than when you are behind them and they're lying on the couch. It reminded me of the experience maybe you had, I had, of being a teenager 
and talking on the phone to your friend. And at some point, it's more like you hear your own voice. Hmm. It goes even further in terms of depersonalization. Oh. I was not expecting that. Yet, I did find that it was harder for me to be available to the patients when it was on the phone. Mm. I found that for them, it might have been more intense. But for me, it was much more difficult to stay focused, to put it simply. Mm -hmm. What I would say is this, in terms of the phone, that is the default to go when the video conference fails. Patient and I, we have switched to phone in the middle of a session. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, we keep getting frozen images or sound that is garbled or it's not coming through. So at some point, perhaps this is more about me, I get so irritated. That I say, you know, this doesn't seem to be working. And I suggest... I don't want to break my machine, so let's find an easy solution <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah, so call me on my cell phone. And the patient calls me and we mm -hmm. continue the session on the phone. So I have to say that in those cases, the phone has been the opportunity to more or less continue the session. But it has been disrupted already. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean in terms of a frame? I don't know, you know. I have to say it's difficult to know what it means. It seems too early for us to get a clear yeah, sense. Yeah, a, a clear sense of what it means, yeah. I would say so. The last thing would be, I think, the question of interpretation and how the therapies tend to turn. We mentioned it before, but I found that interpretations were much harder to make. I found that it was even harder for me to make correct and useful interpretations or interventions. The fact that I couldn't see the body of my patients, their physical reaction, mm -hmm. not even reaction to what I was saying, but the physical the quality of their physical presence Usually that is an indicator for me on whether or not the patient is available to me saying something. And not having that or having just partially that, just their chest and their face, mm -hmm. was not enough. And I think that led to a thought I had and something we, we discussed when we were preparing the podcast. Is this feeling that, not necessarily, but that online therapy or distance-based therapy, remote therapy, created a frame that made it easier to move into some kind of supportive therapy than to keep an analysis alive. Mm -hmm. Why? We already uh, offered some hypotheses before, that some ideas that could lead to, to that. But one of the things is to create a more supportive therapy probably makes me feel safer in terms of where the patient is. I'm holding the patient more. Mm -hmm. Yes. In an analysis, I would say I, I let the patient go farther away. And you follow, yeah. Remotely, I couldn't hold as much of a frame for analysis, at least not as consistently as I could, mm -hmm. I think, uh, back in the office. Mm -hmm. I have experienced something similar, and I would like to add that this is refreshing, that psychoanalysts, we are opening up and saying, this is what's happening to us in the room now the remote room, that we're saying this is difficult, these are the challenges I'm experiencing. I want to do this with my patient, but I find it more difficult right now. Or I think it's easier if I'm doing supportive therapy than analysis. I find this refreshing because it allows us to be grounded in the reality that, again, we are facing the same threat, patient and analysts alike. This is your idea, like how being in a pandemic also made us more in need to repair others. Remember Theodore Reich's statement that no one can be behind the couch unless that person stands for life. I think during the pandemic, we see this very concretely. The analyst symbolically behind the couch cannot be there unless it's standing in the same ground of life as patients are. But in this case, it took us by surprise. Yeah. The threat of COVID impacted all of us at the same time, and that we could not escape the reality. I just want to point that out that in being immersed in the same reality as a patient makes some things difficult. We are facing the same anxieties as a patient might be facing. And then on the other hand, thanks to our own analysis, perhaps we have developed some ego strength to deal with the anxieties, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Are we 
well analyzed. Are we doubtful right now? Are we second guessing ourselves? Are we second guessing ourselves? Let's hope so. How much time and money and effort and energy did I spend into that process? Uh-huh. I hope it made me feel better. I hope that I can I can be behind the couch and be there for my no, patient. I'm not sure for every psychoanalyst, but I think most of us, yeah. Yes. Think it did. Uh, yeah. Hi, so if you are listening to this part of the podcast, it means that you are really interested in what we have to say. So this <laughs> is for you. We wanted to give you just a, a few uh, informations about the discussion on psychoanalysis itself. Um, as you heard, Edgar uh, is now in a different office and different office is um, not in the same suite as, uh, as I am. Mm-hmm. So from now on, all the podcasts, I think, except Maybe if one day uh, Edgar decides to come back uh, exceptionally or more, but no, no, uh, <laughs> it will. They will happen. <laughs> We're uh, not so remotely. far away, but I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be difficult still to uh, to meet, and but yeah. yeah. So just just as a for people to have a sense. Also, as some of you might have noticed, we recorded a lot of podcasts before the pandemic and the fact that we were able to continue publishing or releasing once every month, even if we uh, were overwhelmed by what was happening and unable to actually uh, have time to uh, record. But this is uh, coming to an end. I think we just have three more pre-recorded podcasts Mm -hmm. and then we're going to start recording uh, new ones so post pandemic podcast for the future we uh, think we're going to try to change a little bit the frame of the podcast i'm still going to be mostly uh, engar and myself but uh, we uh, hope that we are going to have uh, interviews yes uh, interview just like uh, i had with lee uh, jenkins But, I mean, not just like I had with Lee Jenkins, because I was alone with Lee because I had to move all my material. But uh, actually, for the next interviews, we hope that we're going to be able to have Edgar also with us. And and also maybe possible guests, some people who would just come and participate in a random discussion without any uh, kind of uh, specific knowledge that we would ask them about. And... uh, I guess we also want to expand on commenting articles or books that we uh, appreciated. Yeah. So we have already thought about some people we would like to invite. We have already talked about books or chapters, at least, or papers that we would like to read or reread and initiate new discussions uh, based on those. And I don't know if we're going to do the same as last time, meaning that we're going to record a lot of podcasts in advance or not. Uh, It's unclear. Mm -hmm. What we found out is that the concept of the podcast, which was that every other week, every other month, we would have a follow-up, actually seems to be um, not working so well because uh, not that many people are actually sending us questions or... Uh, it might be partially our fault. It's true that we're not really involved with the uh, Facebook uh, forum or any other kind of social media. We, we try, but uh, mm-hmm. the, but we do the podcast pro bono, and like it's um, <laughs> yes. we don't have that much time uh, aside from our practice and our uh, private life. We don't know about whether or not we're going to keep up the follow-up uh, podcast. We will probably try to record one on um, a follow-up podcast on how to work with race and racism. Maybe this time just uh, Edgar and myself, uh, so that it's. Uh, we can maybe have more time each of us to say something instead of the very condensed podcast we had with uh, our two other friends and but yeah after that it's unclear we always welcome people suggestions questions critiques uh, whatever but they they don't come so Mm -hmm. in any case i really want to thank you for listening to our podcast and we are feel very privileged to be uh, listened to and to have an audience people who might be interested in what we have to say 
Thank you so much for listening to us. It's wonderful to have an opportunity to express what we think, what we ponder, what we question about psychoanalysis. Well, I guess uh, see you next time. Until then. Bye-bye. Bye.